Yo, what's going on, y'all? It's your boy So So. In case you ain't know, So, and welcome back to another dope episode of Sports with So So. Coming to you live, y'all. This week we got the Heat and the Panthers wrapping up both games on the road, heading back home to take care of business in Game Three and Four. The Marlins continue to roar on lesser opponents as they get above 500, and we got big news in the world of golf with the PGA and Live Tour merger. It's time to take a ride, y'all. Let's go. What it do, baby? What's going on, Joel? Yeah. Uh, not much, bro. In the middle of uh, Central Florida in a hotel somewhere. You know, I mean, just uh, racking up so uh, loyalty points. You look so comfortable. In well, you know, <laughs> I got this special chair, you know, I got requested this special chair specifically for the podcast. They were kind enough to oblige. They brought this in, I think, from Persia. Nice. This, this uh, little, little love seat, you know, so I'm enjoying myself. How are you? So you look good. I like that hat. Appreciate you, my boy. I got it at the Miami Golf Bros Open 2023, you know, got that new logo on there. Make sure you guys are following, showing some love and support for the homie, you know. Um, Yo, I might have to do another run, bro, I, I of those hats. I had a few people hit me up and tell me that they, they, they were, you know, they were feeling it. So I might have to do a, another run. Maybe maybe you guys out there, let us know. Drop it in the comments if you like one of those Miami Golf Bros hats. Maybe I'll do another run of them. With this little rope lining right here, nah, 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 nah. Y'all don't know the quality that my boy put into this hat, man. So it's definitely worth it. So make sure to drop a comment. Um, man, let's let's get started here, Joel. We're going to open things up with the Heat. Um, right now, they're tied 1-1 against the Denver Nuggets. Um, lost game one, 104-93 on last Thursday. And while it was an ugly game, my main takeaway from that game one was that we were in it. You know, the score may seem like we weren't in it, but we were in it because we were getting good possessions. We were getting good open shots. We were getting good looks and nothing was falling down for the heat that day, dog. No, the way we played that game, we should have been down by damn near 30. You know, the fact that we only lost, I think, by – it might have been 10 or what, what was the final spread? 104-93, so 11 points there. 11 points. You know, that should have been a 30-point game the way that the Heat uh, played, you know, and, and the shots that weren't falling. And, and on the other end, if the, sh the shots fall that night, we beat them, you know, by 10 instead of losing by 11. You know what I mean? Um, you had a you know, really cold night from Max Strews and company. Uh, Three-point shooting wasn't there. Jimmy, you know, was kind of absent. We, we only had two free throws on the night. Um, you know, it, it just wasn't really, you know, the heat playoff form that we've seen this year. For sure. And I think Jimmy's, you know, lack of aggression in that game when it came to putting up shots in certain areas, mostly in the paint, um, was due to the size that Denver does have a lot of size out there, right? And and it's it's going to take an effect throughout this series. Um, we just didn't think it would be that big of an effect. Uh, you know, and yeah, his 13 points was definitely, you know, lackluster. Bam really stepped it up. He had 26 points, um, balled out. That game was very effective with his shooting. But those uh, those two free throws being the only free throws that we got, we sent an NBA's finals record for being the lowest amount of free throws in the game. It's like, that's not heat basketball, you know? And I think a lot of that had to do with how we approached 
guarding Joker, right? Um, we were doubling him early and often, and then he was just burning us with our passing. I think he had like 10 assists in the first half, um, ended up with a triple-double, 27 points, 10 rebounds, and 14 assists. Just too much damage to overcome, too many easy points to overcome. And we were all curious to see, like, how the the adjustment was going to be done, right, for this next game in game two. And in game two, we saw a big difference, right? First and foremost, we saw the lineup change. We know that Caleb wasn't feeling that great. We saw Kevin Love get back into the starting lineup. And it had a big effect because it was another big body that we could throw at, at a guy like Aaron, Gert, uh, Aaron Gordon, um, uh, Caldwell Pope, all those guys, right, who have some type of size and length. Um and, and we just saw an immediate change. And he went out there and played really good. You know, got ahead in the first quarter. Next two quarters were a little bit of a rough patch offensively. Um, you know, third third quarter, Joker lit us up for 18 points. And then something happened magical magically in the fourth quarter. The Heat overcome that double-digit lead yet again. Fourth win now in the playoffs, most in a playoffs run by any team in any NBA history, um, overcoming eight points or more as a deficit to come back and win the game. And the Heat won that game 111 to 108. And it was on the strength of making clutch plays down the stretch. Wouldn't you agree? A hundred percent. I mean, you talk about a clutch stretch in the fourth quarter, you got to talk about Duncan Robinson. Mm. With 10 points to lead the heat in the fourth quarter. I mean, I don't know what he, uh, you know, he did in between the third and the fourth, but, you know, he needs to keep doing that moving forward. I think it's just his aggressiveness, right? We've seen him not settle for just the three. And like once, if the defense does take away the three on the pick and roll, whatever, he's becoming a, a much better passer, number one, right? We've seen him make some really good passes. And number two, he's becoming more offensively aware, right? Where he's hitting backdoor cuts and getting to the to the rim, right? Nice and easy. Um, or, or finding another cutting player and, and giving them an assist for an easy bucket. You know, his, his role has definitely changed. He's just not a three-point shooter now, and that shit makes a big difference. Lost you there for a second. Um, you know, it makes a big, big difference. And for me, a another guy who has been making a big difference, and this guy's probably going to get some cash at the end of the season, is Gabe Vincent. He went off, man. 23 points, four or six from three. Um, Bam had another 20-point game, had nine rebounds and four assists. And... When, when we look at the Heat lineup, Joel, Dodd, we've always said it, man. Once you get some type of contribution from anybody else named not Jimmy, the Heat are always in a, in a better position to win the game. And we saw this whole team effort, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, J Jimmy didn't have a great, you know, offensive game. Ended up with, um, I think it was 21 points. But he was super clutch in the in the final moments of the game, right? He had that big rebound off, off of his miss that he found Caleb. Caleb was able to hit a three and keep our um, our lead. And you know, after talking to Jaime on the on the recap, shout out to Jaime Gutierrez. Make sure you guys are following him on on Instagram. He was able to join us on the Heat post game show, and he said it. You know, like Gabe, um, all these guys they feed off of Jimmy, and Jimmy always makes winning plays, and those were one of the winning plays that we saw that night. Yeah, no, you know, Jimmy's always going to be pivotal. And when he's not up to, you know, Jimmy's standards, that's that's when we suffer, like in game one, right? The fact that we only got to the free throw line twice, that was that because mainly Jimmy is our player that's going to get us to the line, and he wasn't doing that. 
We saw that change up in, in game two and, you know, early on he was, you know, drawing fouls, getting to the line. Yeah, he didn't have the phenomenal uh, offensive performance that he had in the early parts of the, the postseason. Um, but you got to look at everything he's doing around the ball, opening up plays for his teammates, you know, making plays, getting the ball where it needs to be, like you alluded to with, with Caleb in the corner. Um, but then also what he's doing on defense, locking down Jamal Murray. I mean, Jamal Murray is a machine. You know, everybody talks about Jokic, but, you know, Jamal Murray is a talented ball player, man. He, he, he can shoot, he can pass, he can get to the rim, you know, he can get, draw the foul. Like, he, he has a, a lot of good attributes to him. And Jimmy locking him down, taking him away, means that we really just got to worry about Jokic. I mean, granted, they have size, you know, we talked about it already. With Aaron Gordon, we can't let that get away, and Michael Porter Jr. and these guys. But the, those, the two-headed monster there is really Jokic and Murray. And with him locking down uh, Murray, you know, that leaves Bam to at least stop the immovable object that is Jokic. You know what I mean? And Jokic, just, he still put up 30 points in that game, too. 41. He's going to do 41, was it? Yeah. Oh, so he did get over the 44 mark. Look at that. Like, he got, he got 41, you know, and, and, and that's fine as long as we're able to contain the other pieces around. And and that's where Bam has been able to step up, man. I, I got to give a huge shout-out to Bam because uh, I know that, we, you know, I'm usually harsh on him a lot of times because of the fact that he doesn't play up to my expectation of where I think he should be playing to. But game one and two, I think Bam has stepped it up. I think he's playing, you know, at a, at a really high-performing level right now. And if we get that continue, you know, continuous performance out of Bam, I think we're looking pretty good in this series. Hell yeah. You mentioned something, you know, his his defense on Joker is really, really under underappreciated so far these first two games, right? Because, yeah, Joker went off for 41 points, but he made a lot of tough shots. He made a lot of, like, crazy, you know, I'm rushing the rim and I'm just getting it off, throwing it up and hoping something good's happened. And, yeah, those when you're on and, and, and you got that soft touch like Joker does – He's going to make a lot of those, but for Bam to, you know, to really limit his other options, Joker only ended up with four assists in the first game. He had 14. We're talking about a 10 point difference there. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's huge, man. I mean, yeah, that's, uh, that's where the numbers are going to pick up because he drops off an assist because he has to do more offensive production. And if that's the case, I'd rather that be the case. Let him score as much as he wants, as long as we're containing everybody else around him. And that was my key to this whole series, right? Like I said it, it earlier. It absolutely was. You know, like we can't double Joker so early and often because then it just makes it so much easier for everybody else to contribute. Nobody else in game two except for Joker had more than 20 points or more than 18 points, which was Jamal Murray. Um, nobody else contributed. And that's the heat stifling the other options that he has and saying, no, you know what? You have to hit all the shots and have to take all the shots, like kind of like Bam did in game one. Now we forced Joker to do that and you know that was a great adjustment by Spo. he went out there and put jimmy on murray right so it kind of takes away a little bit from jimmy on the offensive side but if we're gonna have our other guys step up right like gabe lowry duncan um even caleb you know kevin love hitting shots if we're gonna have these guys contributing offensively then that's gonna make up for the for whatever we miss from jimmy playing more defense and and that's part of part of the adjustments that we're going to have to see in game three, right? Uh, which is happening tonight by the time you guys are watching this, uh, you know, on Wednesday, we're going to have to see Spoke continue to make those adjustments and figure out how he can continue to limit 
Joker's availability in the paint. Um, we saw him go to the zone a lot, which was definitely working for the Heat, whether it's the 2-3 zone or the 1-2-2 zone. Like, it's giving Denver a lot of issues because they don't know how to game plan for it. They don't know what to expect and when to expect it. And that's just something that that Jimmy, that Coach spoke you know, is a master at. Now, we heard today that uh, Hero has been declared out so far. Again, this is Tuesday while we're recording, so a lot can change before game three, but you kind of feel good about us holding Hero back if the series is tied 1-1, right? I don't think you have to rush him back so quickly because I don't think we're that desperate for scoring. What do you think? Yes and no. So my, you know, my my two cents on this is the fact that it's predicated on just the headline that I'm reading. Right. And part of it said that Tyler Hero himself doesn't feel comfortable yet to come back. Correct. And he, maybe the he, still has is, some, he still has some discomfort when he's releasing the ball after shooting it. The team, it was nearing him being cleared, which means you're almost there. None of your teammates are 100 percent, my guy. I get it. You broke a hand. It is what it is. It sucks, but if you're 50%, suit up. I don't want you out there in those ridiculous outfits. I want you on the bench, in your out, in your jersey, in your uniform, ready to get in there if we need you to, bro. If you're 50%, if you can walk, you got your legs under you, I'd rather you be sitting on that bench in a heat jersey, not wearing a fluffy, furry bucket hat. I get you, but you got to remember also that, yeah, he can suit up, right? But if he suits up, then he's going to want to play. And if he goes out there and he plays and he's 50%, that's not good, man, because you're talking about a guy who has, a, you know, some defensive liabilities playing 50 percent out there and that shit could hurt him. Right now, if we're talking about him being 75 percent and he just doesn't have the conditioning and there's nothing hurting him on his hand, then, yeah, go out there and, and you know, burn your lungs out. Right. Um, I think we have to be careful. We have to be careful with the Tyler Hero shit because, like I said, we're in a good position where we don't necessarily need him back that bad. But obviously, we know what type of plus he would bring to the bench, right? Um, that's gonna be a big, a big question for Spo. And um, who, if he, if he does bring Hero back, right? Whose minutes do you give him? Are you taking more minutes from Struz? Are you taking more minutes from Duncan? Are you taking more minutes from Gabe Vincent? You know what I mean? Like these are guys who have been contributing often, right, in this playoff run. Now to kind of throw that little chemistry in there is it, it could be potentially offsetting, you know, and I just think that Spo is going to find the right timing to throw Hero in there. Now, I, if, I, if, if I hear that, hey, you know what, uh, Hero went through shoot around this morning, doesn't really feel the pain. He can take the shot to kind of get it away or whatever. Cool. Bring him back because that it is just be a positive impact having him on the bench and just being an option, even if he doesn't get in the game. Yeah, I mean, I totally understand, you know, those concerns people have with, you know, we're gelling right now. We're playing well without him. We've been winning without him. You know, why disrupt that? Well, I mean, we're talking about six man of the year here. We're talking about a 20 point score for the Heat, a top three score for the Heat over the past three seasons. I mean, there's value there, guys. So we need to make sure, you know, number one player's health and safety is, is most important above all. But Again, if, if you got medical professionals that are clearing you and say, hey, you're good to resume basketball activity and you're still kind of wincing a little bit. And, and, and this is the finals we're talking about. We're not talking about, you know, the first round of the playoffs. We're talking about the NBA finals against a powerhouse that is the Denver Nuggets. We need as much help as we can get. And you talk about, you know, where are those minutes coming from? I think there's plenty of minutes to go around, frankly. We're only rotating eight guys in some of these games. 
we can use more guys on the bench. Is what I'm saying, and I'm tired of seeing those stupid outfits. That's probably why I'm I'm so adamant about this. Is I'm For sure. Tired, I'm, I'm with Van Gundy. I'm tired of seeing Tyler Hero dressed like a clown on the bench, dog. Dog, his his fashion choice is a little bit weird. We got to get that guy to Empire Boutique so he can drip up. You know what I'm <laughs> Great plug. Yeah, for sure. Um, shout out to them sponsoring the Heat Post Game Show. Um, yeah, you know, let's see. The Tyler Hero effect is definitely one that can make a big difference for the Heat. But let's see how it works out uh, in Game Three tonight. And but something that I wanted to touch on was. You know, we really have to make our strongest effort to win both games here in Miami. You know, I know that it starts with game three and, and, and making sure that, you know, Jimmy's in the right state of mind with the things happening with his dad. Bam continues to be aggressive. You know, we got Kyle Lowry in a good rhythm, Duncan in a good rhythm, uh, Caleb, get him healthy. Kevin Love, you know, he stepped in. Just kind of keep that chemistry going. Go in there, protect home court and take both of those games at home, and then that way we feel less pressure in game five and game six because if we do win these next two games at home, dog, I, I really feel like it's nights out for Denver because I, I can't see them winning three straight games like that, uh, you know, especially with the lack of experience they've, they're they showing. One thing that stood out to me in game two, right, because it was a little bit more contested or a lot tighter when it came to defending Denver was complaining a lot about foul calls and this and that and the heat were just getting on it oh the call went our way great the call didn't go our way great everybody else that's a heat nation right was going crazy with the calls but those dudes kept the same energy and and it you can tell that it didn't bother them for Denver on the other hand you saw them get a little you know I don't want to say bitchy but that's exactly what they were doing they were bitching and complaining and it, it kind of had an effect on their team no, absolutely, man. I mean, if you're watching that game as a Heat fan, you're, you're you're shouting out all the fouls that they miss, and then you're also you're also looking at it like, all right, bro, that was a makeup call. You know what I mean? Like, you, I hate I hate when that happens. They miss a, a pure call, and then they they do a makeup call, and that's one of the most frustrating things to, to watch as a fan. But you know, never say never. I know where you were going with that. As far as you know, if we win these next two, you, it's hard to imagine Denver climb out of that hole. We around the goal, we had the Boston Celtics against the ropes and we had to take it all the way to game seven to close it out. This team is much better than the, the Boston Celtic team that we face. So we got to give them their respect. But this is the last thing I will say. This is the one thing that I learned from game two of this series. And it's that the Miami Heat can win in Denver. That yeah. was the question. That was the narrative going into this series is the altitude is it can the heat handle it short time, no rest. Denver's off. Who you know? Who's who's better off? We just proved that we can win there. So this game, this series is probably going to go to seven. I would love for us to take these next two at home. You know, chances are we probably split. They're a good enough team where we split. But I have full faith and confidence going down to a game seven in the series, knowing the Miami Heat can win in Denver for sure. And you know, you talk about winning in Denver. Denver was undefeated at home in the playoffs, and we just broke that. You know, they were on a seven-game winning streak. We broke that, too. Like, it felt like we broke a lot of their spirit in those aspects, you know? And when and when the Heat are shooting 40% from three in these two games, you feel confident in, in how the Heat's ability to score can continue. You got guys like Gabe shooting 56% from three, Jimmy, 43, Lowry, 55, Duncan, 33. You know, like, these are guys who are shooters contributing to the shooting night in night out so far in these games in the finals and um you know we have to shout out bam man averaging 23.5 points 11 rebounds 4.5 assists um gabe vincent is averaging 21 points and four assists on 57 percent shooting like 
This is all while Jimmy is quote unquote struggling on offense with, with averaging 17 points, but he's also averaging five and a half rebounds and more importantly, eight assists. So this dude is obviously doing something right here and it's, it's definitely helping us, man. Low key. You got Kevin Love averaging 10 rebounds in, in two games. You know what I mean? Like, again, we, we always find a way to get a contributing a uh, contribution from somebody that we weren't expecting it from in that game and then having that propel us forward. Uh, you, so, want yeah. to, you want me to go even deeper with a shout-out, man? Another shout-out we can give? Haywood Highsmith. Big Ooh. minutes for the kid in these NBA finals, man. Big minutes for him. Yeah, bro. Uh, and, and it's like like you alluded to, you know, Spo has so many options that he can go to. He has so many options that he can call on a guy and say, hey, I need this. Let me bring in the best piece to get the best outcome. Uh, it's what makes him the best coach in the NBA, in my opinion. And I think that's what kind of gives us an edge in this series as well. Uh, we may not have the best player. We may not have the second best player, but we definitely have the best coach. And we definitely have a team who has enough experience, has enough heartbreak as far as losing in the NBA finals to not want to go through that again. Um, so, yeah, these next two games, Thursday, I mean, Wednesday, and then the Friday, uh, again, game four, it's going to be very interesting before we go back to Denver in game five on Monday. And then if needed, game six is on Thursday. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um, yeah, man. Uh, prediction? They're, you think they're splitting or you think they're going 1-1 here? Um, I, 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 I'm going to say. No, you're fine. I, I think, man, obviously, obviously the delusional Heat fan in me says, you know, we're going to win both of these at home here with this momentum. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I got to give Denver their respect, man. And, you know, I got to give credit where it's due. And I, I think we will ultimately split because I think this series goes seven games. I kind of have to agree with you there, dog. I don't I, – mm, I, I, common sense says that it's going to go seven, but I don't know, man. This team's – three-point shooting ability has not wavered, right? Because even in that game we lost, we still hit some big, big shots in the fourth quarter to make Denver really uncomfortable in game one. And then obviously in game four, we, we came out and had a fucking hell of a, I think it was like a 13-point run to start the fourth quarter. We were 9 of 10 from the field. Like, this team can catch fire quickly. And when they do, Denver doesn't seem like they have an answer, so. Let's see. Maybe it's six games. Maybe it's seven. But what I do know is that your boy Soso is going to bring you every single ounce of coverage from this game and this series as it goes on the post game recap. We're going to have more special just guests joining us. Shout out to Rax. Shout out to Jaime. Um, yeah, man. Shout out to Empire Boutique. We're making it happen with this heat postseason run. Now, let's get into the other team that's playing in the finals right now. That's our Florida Panthers. They're down 0-2 in their series against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And you know, Saturday was a little bit of a shocker, right? Because they lost 5-2. Um, and I felt like the Panthers were playing too dirty. You know, like every time there was a, a you know, a, a stop and play and the whistle blew, you know, you saw all that little extra, right? Where like guys are pushing each other or punching each other in the face and grabbing each other by the neck and grabbing jerseys and it was just too much for me i felt like they were trying to dirty up the game too much which is crazy because the panthers went up first right they scored first in that game and they had been eight and zero or seven and zero when when go they were eight and zero going 
into these playoffs when scoring first. So it was like, all right, we got the first goal. Let's see how this goes. And then I just think the dirty tactics took them too far down the down the wrong path. They had 11 penalties, gave up seven power play chances. Two goals were given up in those power play chances. And, uh, yeah, it, it got to a point where even Matthew Kachuk, you know, got kicked out with about four minutes left because of the dirtiness that these guys were playing with. Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know. I don't want to say it's out of character for these Florida Panthers, but I don't know. I don't, I don't really, I don't know. I don't haven't seen us play the way we played in that, you know, the first game against, uh, against Vegas, man. And, and something you didn't mention was that, that first goal that we went up on them was actually a shorthanded goal. You know, it was on their power play that we scored to start the game. So imagine, you know, as a Panthers fan, we're short. We score shorty to start the game 10 minutes in. I mean, we're, we're on top of the world at that point. We're thinking we're running away with this. Right. And then they come back and they score a goal to tie it up. And then they go up on us. And then what do the Panthers do? Well, we claw back and we tie it back up. So it's a game for a little, little bit there. And then they, they, you know, they end up just um, running away with it at the end. I think they had a couple empty naters towards the end too, which is why you had that 5-2 score on that first one. But, yeah, I agree, man. It was a little bit strange to see, you know, how dirty they were trying to take it in that first game against the Knights. Yeah, and, and more importantly, the clutch plays as far as the goalie saves were made by their goalie, Aiden Hill. He had 33 saves, and he had two important saves, one on um, Nick Cousins, you know, who was literally right in front of the goal, had his, his stick right on the puck, right in front of it, and Aiden was able to make the save. It really changed the momentum for the rest of the game, and the Panthers were never, never able to get it back. So they lose game one, five to two, and then we're thinking, all right, you know, Monday, they're they're they're, they're already fresh. They they kind of got back into the rhythm. Now they've already experienced the game. Let's see how they go down, you know, and approach this game. And from the get go, it was just zero energy, zero conviction, zero any anything that resembles Panthers hockey as they went out two zero in the first, and then we're down four zero by the time the second period even ended. It was a bloodbath. Yeah, yeah, it was I seven mean, two. It was, you know, it was seven two by the time the game was over, dog. It was a bloodbath, dog. It got ugly fast. I mean, I, Big Bob has been the you know, savior of these postseason playoffs for the Panthers, and you know, unfortunately, you know, when it rains, it pours. And now, game one was a tough one for him to swallow, and then game two, where it's been a bounce back, and they shoved four straight down his throat, man. And they end up pulling Big Bob out of there. You know, we have to bring in uh, this this other kid. Uh, what's his name? Lion. Um, but, you know, we, we got kind of exposed, man. We saw, yeah, I don't know, I think, you know, someone told me this, you know, that Big Bob got exposed with that that high puck entry coming into the net. He's a, he's a menace when it comes to anything below and below the knee and down low. But anything that's coming up, shoulder height is a little bit harder for him. And we look at the goals these guys are scoring. That's kind of where, where they're, you know, exploiting him. And I don't know what's going to happen now moving forward when we come back home, you know, for games three and four. You know, is Big Bob going to make the start? You know, how do we make that adjustment? Yeah, that's one of the big questions that Coach Paul Maurice has to figure out, right? Because um, a very uncharacteristic eight goals in two games that uh, Big Bob has allowed. Um, He got pulled in the second period, you know, with about seven minutes left. And uh, Mm -hmm. that was the fifth time in 12 games that Vegas does that, right? Where they have a goalie pulled in the second period before they even make it to the third, you know? And again, it was just an uncharacteristic game you know, across the ice for the Panthers, you know, again, back up with the penalty minutes, 84 penalty minutes, right? Zero, zero disciplines, a lot of dirty moves, a lot of 
you know, stupid shit that got them penalties when they're putting themselves at a disadvantage. And when you're playing for the Stanley Cup finals, you can't put yourself at a disadvantage by causing penalties on yourself. You know, like it's okay if the if you hit somebody and it's a check or something like that, it's a whatever. But when you're doing the dirty stuff after the play to get yourself penalties, that shit kills any type of momentum that you can build. And the Panthers just lost it, man. Um, and you know, I, for me. Panthers hockey is always the best when they're controlling the neutral ice, controlling the 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 hits in the game. Right, we have two guys in Gudis and and Verhage who are leading uh, the NHL playoffs right now with with the amount of hits that they've given out. But it needs to be calculated. It can't be just wild and free, you know. And I feel like the Panthers were playing way too loose with it, and that's why they're down. You know, two games to none here in this Stanley Cup Finals before they head home on Thursday uh, to play again. Now, like I said, how does Paul Maurice get the momentum back in this series? You know, how do you get Keith Kachuk going again? How do you get Verhage going again, right? And get these guys in opportunities where they can finish and score and, you know, continue to put the pressure on the Las Vegas Knights. You know, they've the Panthers seem to be the team that has lost their composure. Golden Knights are keeping their composure, and that's been very telling throughout this playoff run. Now, game three, like I said, is, is on Thursday. It's going to be a huge game, right, because obviously you, you lose that game. You, got, you go down 3-0, looking rough to make that four-straight comeback victory, right? I mean, at this point, your back's against the wall. You know, this is, this is you know, do or die, win or go home. Um, so this is this is absolutely a must-win game for the Panthers coming up in game three. Um, it's just... I mean, I, I got, you know, for me, it's, it's hard to, to, to see this team that what they've done in this postseason, you know, bouncing the one seed Bruins in seven games after their backs were against the wall, three, one, you know, and then sweeping, you know, their last round rival in, in the Leafs, right? Um, I'm sorry, into Carolina, the Hurricanes, uh, they swept them and, you know, now I, it's got me thinking, all right, you know, one, was it too long of a layoff? Did they take too long off? You know, they got out of their form or whatever. Did they need to kind of extend that just to kind of stay stay hot, stay warm? Uh, but then also number two is like, what happened to the psyche in that locker room after that series? You know, when you sweep a team in the playoffs, like, do you go from thinking like, oh, uh, you know, we still got to earn everything to like, oh, we got this in the bag. Like, this is this is a, you know, a walk in the park, like we're owed everything. You know what I mean? So if, if that's the case, then yeah, you know, uh, Mitchell needs to get everybody on the same page. You know, he needs to get that locker room back. Yeah. Maurice, coach Maurice needs to figure something out Maurice before this game three. And, you know, you mentioned it, you know, this is something that we saw them, you know, how it hurts them, right? The struggles with power plays oh for seven so far in power play opportunities. We've given them 12 goals in two games. Another very uncharacteristic stat. And, you know, when you're averaging only two goals per game, you, you got to find ways to get it done on defense. Right. A lot of the run was pretty, uh, you know, predicated on the Panthers being the better defensive team. Um, Big Bob stepping up and making a lot of saves and that using that to transition into our offense and getting breakaways or getting three on twos, four on threes. Panthers have to find a way to to get back to that rhythm. Now, I think they can because they do have a lot of experience on this team. Right. And they have a lot of guys who are very grounded. Right. Not a lot of egos and stuff like that when it comes to to this Panthers team but you know not having any goals in in seven chances on power plays that's stuff that we saw last year and when we saw that last year we saw how much it hurt them and how quickly it got them out 
of the playoffs, right? Um, at this point, at this stage, Stanley Cup Finals, you can't afford that. You got to find a way to protect the puck. You got to find a way to limit the dumb penalties and take the take the most of your chances when they're presented to you, you know? Let's see what happens. I'm, I'm expecting the Panthers to win game three, without a doubt, right? Being at home, the, the crowd is going to be on fire. Um, we know it's a sellout already, both games. So the energy is definitely going to be in the building. We just need the players to match that energy, right? Come out. Come out strong, put up a couple of goals early, you know, be up, you know, 2-0, 2-1 heading into the second period or, or early in the second period and, 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 and sh- 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 you know, finish the game out that way, stretch the game out that way where you're playing your style and not Las Vegas style. Because if we try to play that physical style that Las Vegas is known for, I don't think we can match up like that. You know, we have to play our game and, and, and bring it back to that. Um, like I said. Thursday, game three, and then we have game four on Saturday, both games at 8 p.m. or 8.20. That's when the puck drops after the national anthem. And then the rest of the schedule goes like this. We have game five on Tuesday and game six on Friday and then game seven if needed on Monday. So hopefully the Panthers get us there so we can continue to talk about those guys in a good light and energy here on on the Sports with Social uh, podcast. Um, Bro, you you know, let's talk about the Marlins for a second because – these guys have really turned the page, it seems, right? Everything is clicking for them offensively. Still don't have the greatest of pitching, but as far as the offense goes, which is something that you and I really didn't anticipate, the offense has really been blowing up. You know, besides the guy that we knew were, was going to do good in Jazz, right, who hasn't been playing, um, uh, Reyes playing well, right? And w- what we didn't expect is like the guy, the Jorge Solers, the Coopers, you know, the rest of these guys to come, Brian De La Cruz, to like all these guys to come out and, and contribute so early and often this season. But that's what we've had now, man. And the Marlins, you know, have won four games in a row. They're coming off a sweep of the worst team in baseball in, in the Oakland A's, um, 33 and 28 second right now. And again, this is Tuesday, okay? But they're in second place right now in the NL East, which is more than what we can ask for, right? Five games above 500. You know, I mean, this is normally a below 500 team last couple yeah. seasons. So the fact that we're five, not one, not a half, you know, not two, five games above 500, something to be happy about, man. And yeah, they're getting it done. You know, I was concerned the other day we lost uh, to the Reds, maybe, or the Royals. Like eleven to two, something like that. It was a beatdown a couple yeah, we weeks had, ago. Yeah, we had got smoked by. I think it was the the Rockies. At home. The Rockies, it might have been. And then boom, we turn around, and I think it was against uh, this past series. We we turn around, we put up like eleven runs ourselves on somebody. So you know, it sucks to, to be on the receiving end of that, but it's nice to know that your team can also put that up. And they're they're finding a groove, man. Araez is a beast. I think he had like a four hit game the other day, like three or four hit game the other day. I mean, he's cracking it up. Dog, this guy, um, first of all, he's doing unprecedented shit. The guy's batting 399. 399. There hasn't been somebody hit to hit 400 in over 80 years. Uh, Ted Williams in 1941. All right. 1941, dog. Like, come on. And this dude is doing it not by just hitting a bunch of home runs because he only has one on the season, Uh, not because he's in such a protected lineup where they have to throw at him, right, and throw him good good pitches. This guy is finding ways to put the ball in play, find little gaps, 
put the you know get himself on bases on base percentages through the roof and just in the last seven days dog this guy has 15 hits and 27 at bats like that's over 500 right there he's only had 10 games so far this entire season joel that he doesn't get a hit think about that dog talk about consistency this dude right and a lot of people were kind of questioning being the batting champ from last year can you carry that over into another year and do it back to back He's way like exceeding these expectations by like a lot, like a lot. This guy's on pace to do some really historic shit, and the Martins are feeding off that energy as far as offensively. You know, we you you mentioned being offensively on it. The first game against the Royals in this series, right? They won in nine to six, but they were down four to two in the third, and then bounced back with a quick four run uh, inning in the fourth. Uh, Bertie uh, got a triple to start it off, and then brought in another one. And then Brian De La Cruz homers in the end at the end of the at the end of the inning, you know, to bring in Arias uh, after he got on base again, you know, and and Brian hit a bomb to center field. And then boom, once the Marlins got the lead back, it was like, all right, we're not looking back. Let's get to our closer and let's finish this game off. Um, you know, I mentioned Jorge Soler; he has 17 home runs on the season, tied for fourth in the entire majors. Like this is a dude that. We expect it to be a big bat, and we were wondering, like, damn, can, can the Marlins make a trade for a big bat at some point in the season, right? Because it was like, we know that that's a hole that they have, but, man, he's been providing a lot of offensive power, him and Brian De La Cruz, because without, you know, Jazz right now in the lineup, you would think that the offense would take a dip, but if anything, it's been pretty consistent, you know, Um Again, just finding timely hitting and, and being available, being being uh, confident in the hitting is, is really helping out this Marlins team, man. And, and even tonight, you know, while, while we're recording, they're up 5-1 right now in the Royals. Uh, guess who has another hit? Luis Arias, man. And his average went all the way down to 398. You know, like this dude is really killing it for us, man. And we're getting a lot of good um, – Good contributions from guys from guys like Joey Wendell, who came back from from injury. Right, he's been producing as of late. Jesus Sanchez has been playing well and, and contributing offensively, getting his hits here and there, just being on base and, and allowing the guys to bring him in. This Marlins team is very fun right now, man. And 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 I know that all we wanted was for them to make it entertaining. They're doing that, and they're giving us the bonus of winning games, winning series, and 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 continue to build on on such a. I don't want to say a young roster, but a very impression impressionable roster that we have. No, they're definitely still young in the terms of like their core and their chemistry as a team. You know, they're still trying to figure out their identity, especially you know in the post Mattingly era. And it's, it's looking good, man. It's looking favorable. I mean, if, if you ever wanted to go to a Martins game, I mean, now's the time, right? When they're above 500 and you know that there's a good chance that they can pull off the victory and it's not going to be a boring, you know, two to one game. It's going to be, you know, a game where we come back from a 4-2 deficit to win 9-6, you know? Um, so we hear a lot about the bat, what's going on with the offensive scoring. Talk to me a little bit about pitching, though. What's going on in that department? I'm glad you brought that up, dog, because the guy who's pitching tonight, Jesus Lozardo, has been really on fire for us, man. He has eight Ks tonight, um, you know, but him and, and Edward Cabrera have been really stacking up 
the wins for us and helping us get good outings from our pitchers, you know, seven innings, you know, six and two thirds, which last year we weren't even averaging that as a staff, right? As a staff, our starting pitchers were probably five and a half, maybe six because of how long Sandy was pitching, you know, and I'm glad I bring up Sandy because even with him struggling, right, in his last two starts, 13 innings pitch, he's given up 11 hits, nine runs, nine earned, five walks and only 10 strikeouts. You have those other guys that you're that you know aren't necessarily your quote unquote ace, right? But Jesus Lazardo, uh, Cabrera, I mentioned, even uh, our closer, all of these guys have been really stepping up in Sandy's dip to help the Marlins win games. And you know, you and I didn't predict us being this type of team where we can win games on the offensive side, right? Win games by three, four runs and shit like that, while giving up three runs, four runs if it if it if it happens. Just surprising to see that from the Marlins this year, and and the pitching has definitely stepped up while while Sandy continues to find his his way and, and work his ba- way back to being that all star caliber that 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 we're used to. Uh, yeah, this pitching staff, bro, you got to give them a, a big bounce, a, a huge huge amount of credit because, like I said, they're they're doing it without their ace, and usually when you have you know, your ace, you rely on that guy to come through and get the wins. But we've seen Yuri Perez get called up and have three good quality starts so far, right, as a rookie. Um, not easy to do as a kid, but – and especially on this type of on this type of roster where, you know, you have proven major league talent, proven veterans, guys who have actually gone out there and won things, been a part of winning cultures. And for him to be a part of this now, like you said – the core is so young and having a guy like Yuri Perez step up and, and take some of those innings and take some of those outings has really been is really been a, a helpful thing. And even Braxton Garrett, man, I got to shout out Braxton Gary. You know, he's two and two on the season so far, but he's been, been putting up some really good innings, man. You know, and and just being that guy where he can say, you know what? Maybe I gave up three runs. Maybe I gave up four runs, but it's the seventh inning and I'm still pitching. And if, if we do have a lead, I, I feel comfortable with not giving up anything and putting it into the hands of our bullpen and letting those guys shut it down, man. Um, like I said, that's, have- not, that's not something that we, we've known here in, in the last few seasons. You know, we've had the, you know, Sandys and we've had the six toes and, you know, we've had, you know, guys, the Pablos, you know, that, that can come in and start games and, and get us off to a right start. But how many games do those guys lose at the hands of the bullpen? You know, and it's, it's, it's reassuring now to see that we're adding, you know, in that department, we're getting more depth that, you know, guys that can, you know, save games and not cost us, you know, some, some crucial ones. So that's always good to hear. Yeah, you mentioned the, the saves, man. We have two guys right now with seven and six saves, respectively. You know, you got uh, Dylan Floro. Uh, he has seven saves on the season so far. AJ Puck, still doing his thing, has six saves on the season. Um, between both of them, they have five holds. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're mounting to 44 strikeouts. So they're going out there and really being effective, like you said, while only giving up, you know, four home runs between them and, and save opportunities. That's clutch pitching. You know, yeah, your starter needs to be clutch and, and be good throughout the entire series and, to, and throughout his entire start. But when it comes down to winning the game, right, you, you're relying on your closer. And like I said, Dylan and AJ have really made a difference this year because that's 13 wins if you think about it. You know, 13 saves, that's 13 wins that the Marlins have added to this to this schedule so far. Um, and, and it's, it's 
a big reason why they're five games above 500 and climbing, right? Because, <clears throat> like I said, they're, they're able to take advantage of the opponents that they're facing. Yeah, the A's are the worst team in baseball. So what? You still got to go out there and play them three games and win those three games, right? Same thing with the Royals. Yeah, they're not a great team. But you know what? You still have to go out there and beat those lesser opponents in order to continue to build your 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 standing and your record. And, and it's definitely paying, paying off for the Martins, man. Like I said, they're, they're winning tonight. It's 5-1. Um, they're in the middle of the sixth inning. It looks like it's going to be another victory for Jesus Lazardo. Um, like I said, this this Marlins team has definitely been one of the funnest ones that we've had, especially so early in the season. We've had other seasons where, you know, the Marlins kind of catch a little bit of fire and it's too little too late. Now, nah, these dudes are doing it early and often, which is more than what you and I could have both hoped for for this season. For sure. For sure. We definitely ever since the whole Jeter move happened with the Marlins, we've had, you know, expectations. I wouldn't say high expectations, but we had like just kind of bare minimum expectations. Mm-hmm. None of them were met. So I think we kind of brought that like reeled that back in and we came into the season with literally zero expectations. And these guys are playing really, really well, man. So it's it's literally surpassed all our expectations so far. Just want to see if they can keep it up, you know, as a, as the race for October gets closer. Absolutely. And you know what? Uh, after this series against the Royals, which ends tomorrow, Wednesday, right? Um, by the time you guys are hearing this today, they got to hit the road to face the White Sox and then go up to Seattle and then head over to Washington. So uh, uh, what's that? A nine game road uh, trip that's coming up for the Marlins. If they're going to be a team that's in the mix, in the mix, I don't want to say contending for the wild card spot or in the wild card spot, but just in the mix, you're going to have to win at least five of these games on the road. Right. And, and and stay 500. And if they can do that, shit, this this Mar- Marlin season might be a special one. Right. Because they can possibly make that wild card. And once you're in the wild card, we know the Marlins, dog. That's where they like to do their damage. Hey, that's not just the Marlins, bro. That's the South Florida way. Don't let us back door. Don't, don't let us back door because you're going to regret it. We got two ATs in the finals right now, bro. So you don't want to make it a wild card playoff baseball team. That's facts, man. South Florida sports is a buzzing, man. It is a buzzing. So, yeah, make sure you guys are checking out your Martins. Um, go watch them in person. <laughs> Tickets are super cheap and affordable. You can take a whole family of 10 out there for, for under 100 bucks and have a good time. I think you can buy Marlins tickets at Costco. Don't quote me on this. I heard it on a podcast recently. But if you got a Costco membership, go ask somebody. I think you can get Marlins tickets at Costco in bulk. And they have a partnership right now with Burger King, too. Like, if you buy a meal, you know, you can you can get a voucher for a buy one, get one free type thing. So Marlins are doing everything they can to bring people in. Um, and, the, and more importantly, the product on the field is doing the real talking for the Marlins. And, and that's all we want as, as Marlins fans and baseball fans. Um, before we wrap up, Doug, we got to talk about some big news today in the world of golf, which affects both of us, right? Because we watch a lot of golf. Um, I see you wearing your golf shirt, right? Um, your U.S. Open shirt, I see you. But today, there was a big announcement between the Live and the PGA Tour where they announced that they're going to be merging pretty soon. And uh, this has a lot of implications for both the players on the PGA Tour and the Live Tour, right? Um, everything that I've been reading and hearing is that the PGA guys are kind of pissed off about this merger because they they feel like they got the short end of the stick, right? The Live guys got to go and, and make their big money and go play in shorts and all this stuff. And now 
all of a sudden it's emerging. We're all, uh, you know, under one umbrella and one big happy family, dog. Tell me, you're, you're, you're more into this golf world than I am. Tell me what your thoughts about this merger and how it's going to have a bigger effect on the game of golf moving forward. Oh, uh, man, this is uh, this was a doozy, man. What a Tuesday. Tuesdays are usually slow days for us, for everybody. You know what I mean? In general, not a lot happens on a Tuesday. Um, but this Tuesday is going to be a very, very memorable one um, for years to come. Um, yeah, man, the last, last few years, it's been this whole, you know, live golf. You know, what, was it going to be a real thing? Is it actually going to happen? Who's going to be involved? Then it actually came to fruition. Slowly, little by little, some of the most prominent names in the PGA Tour started making their way over. Obviously, that's all driven by money incentives. And, you know, those guys were kind of treated like outcasts and, and, and kind of um, exiled, you know, from the world of the PGA Tour. Um, and now, you know, uh, basically a year, one full year after the, the Live Tour is, you know, in existence. Um, we've seen two majors this year, you know, with both Live players. And with PGA players, it's been a great narrative as far as, you know, what's going to happen with this league and the friction and the tension. Uh, we had, you know, our first Masters winner, you know, was a, a PGA player. Second Masters winner was a live player. And so, you know, it only added more to that narrative and that saga. You know what I mean? The PGA, initially their stance was um, this is why, you know, sport washing, you know, the Saudis and what they do. We don't condone it. It's, you know, morally, you know, we don't stand by it. And that's our stance on it. And here we go now on this Tuesday and we find out that the PGA tour who spewed all that hate and said all that stuff is now in bed with the enemy. I mean, what is going on here? Is it a money grab? I'm going to ask you straight up. Is it a money grab by the PGA in order to, to kind of, you know, give a little bit, I don't want to say placate, but like definitely make your guys happier by giving them more incentives or more having more money available to pay them more. So I was listening to the four play pod. Shout out to the Barstool boys. That's one of my, you know, my, my go to golf uh, news information and stuff like that. And and uh, something that they talked about, which was very insightful, um, was the fact of all the, the ongoing litigations and, you know, the, the court rulings and proceedings that are happening behind the scenes between the PGA Tour and Live Golf. And when the PGA Tour decided to ban players from playing on their tour that had earned tour status simply because they were taking, you know, they were going to play somewhere else and wouldn't consider an alternative or anything like that, then that's when the, the Live Tour, um, you know, fought back and... Basically, the sentiment or the thought is that they were at a crossroads where they knew their backs were against the wall. And rather than, you know, letting everything be uncovered in the court rulings that weren't going to favor the PGA Tour and were going to cause them to lose everything, they figured, hey, let's cut our losses now, merge with these guys. And at the same time, I can't help but think that there was some money involved there, you know, but, you know, you talk. You talk about money. I mean, yeah, you talk, you know, at the beginning of the segment, of course, you know, if I'm a player that walked away from $100 million, you know, to come play for the Live Tour only to, to see that my counterparts that did that are now back as my coworkers, I mean, I'm completely, you know, and utterly in disbelief and upset. You know, I don't care that you raise the purses from $1 million to $3 million and you have these designated events and all this stuff. I could have got paid and still been working here. Like, 
I mean, you got to be salty, dog. You got to be salty. It's not all about money. I get that. But you got to be, there's got to be some of these guys that are feeling a little bit salty. Especially the guys who stood up for the PGA, right? Like more importantly, mainly Rory, right? Maury had a lot of, Rory had a lot of strong words for this whole thing and when, when it was going down and, and what the players who were going to live were doing and stuff like that and how the prestige of the PGA was, was at stake here. So imagine a guy going to bat for the PGA like that so hard on camera publicly over and over again, right? Um, not even Tiger Woods had done that. And now for him to see, you know, this thing go completely 360, now all these guys are in there. Like you said, now we're co-workers again. It has to suck for dudes like him, man. No, and, and the way that it unfolded, I mean, Colin Morikawa tweeted out, you know, hey, this is, I'm just finding out about this like everybody on Twitter, you know, for, for, for them to have a player meeting last year after the lifting happened that Tiger Woods and Justin Thomas headed where they, you know, they discussed it. And then out of that came the, you know, the designated events and the higher purses and, you know, all those, all those things that came out of it. For those, none of those guys to get a heads up or, or just a kind of a tap on the shoulder and then find out what the rest of us today. It's got to kind of be a slap in the face. But then on the other side of things, you know, Phil Mickelson is looking like a genius right about now. You know, Brooks Kepka, who, if you saw full swing, was, you know, kind of uh, having some buyer's remorse, you know, questioning his decision to come over to the live tour. That guy just won his fifth major title sitting on a buttload of money and he's still on the PGA tour. I mean, the one thing I thought of that I sent out everybody when I saw that was was uh, the, the meme of Borat when he's like, King of the Castle, King of the Castle. That's Brooks <laughs> Kepka and Greg Norman right now, bro. Those guys are the King of the Castle right now, man. Yeah, especially, especially, um, damn, what's the, the dudes you just named right now? Not Brooks. Uh, Phil? Phil. No, no, not Phil. The, the guy who's uh, plugging this, man. Uh, Greg yeah. Norman. Greg Norman. You know, he, he took a lot of shit. He took a lot of shit for being the face of Liv. He took a lot of shit for, for having the, you know, I don't want to say the cojones, but definitely having the cojones to try to build the game in a different aspect. And now everything that he sacrificed has come back to, you know, fruition. And now he's the benefiter of it because he looks like the guy who was leading the charge to make a big change in the game of golf, right? And force these changes upon the PGA, right? Who we, you and I know, <clears throat> they've always had like, some type of, I don't want to say snobby, but like, you know, they had a higher value of themselves because they were only game in town. And then, boom, here comes the live tour with, with their new exciting stuff and trying to make it more exciting for fans like you and I, right? And now to see the PGA bend the knee, so to speak, right? It's, it's just funny to me, man, because, you know, we mentioned it earlier, money being a factor it has to be a huge factor. You of course. Know, and now we don't hear anything about the sports washing or anything like no, that. No, man. I mean, it's just the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy of it all is what is just so laugh out loud funny. You know, that all these guys that were, you know, basically like the whole drama, you know, that they're not talking to these guys anymore, you know, because right. they're on that league and that, you know, they don't agree with their decision. Like, do you owe those guys an apology now? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Should people look at you like that now? Now that you're owned by the Saudis, you know, now the, the, foot, the, the shoes on the other foot. It's just funny to see that, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, man, you know, money talks, bullshit walks, you know. And, and here the Saudis got all the money in the world, man. Um, the Saudis needed the PGA, you know, for their streaming and their TV. 
But the PGA also, you know, needs the live tour, you know, as far as the destruction that they made in golf and all that stuff. So it's it's ultimately hopefully going to grow the game. We're going to get a global game now, not just the PGA tour in America, but we're going to have a global, you know, game of golf and a global presence. And, you know, hopefully that can only get better and grow. Um, but it's not even official just yet. The pressure that went down today with uh, the Saudi prince um, and um, Jay Monahan, which is the PGA tour commissioner, uh, when they were asked, you know, hey, where can we get all these details? They said, we're still working them out. Nothing's official just yet, but we just kind of wanted to give you guys all a heads up. Very, very strange, you know, at the end of the day. So there's still more to come out of this story, but definitely sent shockwaves through the sports world today. For sure. And it's going to be interesting to see where the dust settles, like you were alluding to, right? Because I want I want to know what the, what the details are going to be, right? Because the devil's always in the details. And when you have a merger of this size, right, with two big companies battling for all these viewerships and all these sponsorships and all that stuff, like the devil is going to be in the details. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how it really affects not only this season, but golf moving forward, you know what I mean? Because it's going to be a big change. Before we wrap up, bro, I want to give a special shout out to a guy that we've spoken about here a lot. And some of us have said that he can't be a winner. And my dog, Victor Hovland, went out there and won the Memorial with some clutch play after tying it up. Uh, what do you think about his performance that this past weekend? And um, give a little bit of insight to how this win can probably propel a guy like Victor Hovland to go out there and get his first major. Well, you know, Victor Hovland, huge congratulations to him with a, a gritty win. I mean, he was down one. He had to, you know, birdie uh, coming in. I, I think that I kind of I, I kind of lost track of it because I remember seeing that he didn't birdie the 18th. And I think um, yeah, whoever was right behind him that ultimately lost the tournament or in front of him, bogey the hall. Right. So then it ended up taking that to a playoff. And then he just played it, you know, amazingly and ended up making a clutch putt in the playoffs to, to, to seal the victory at the Memorial. Um, great tournament. You know, that's Jack's place. You know, you got Jack there. Um, you know, it's great for Victor Hovland to win that one, especially with the year he's been having, you know, the top tens in the majors and all the great performances. Um, but it, it, it took somebody else messing up. You know what I mean? Granted, you know, the door creaked open and he, he took advantage. He put his foot in there and he walked in and said, no, 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 no. I, I, I was invited to trust me. But that's what it took. And that's not what you want to see for somebody going into, you know, two more majors this season. You want guys that are winning, you know, in, in a dominating fashion, uh, kind of like a Brooks Kepka, you know what I mean? And um, Victor, you know, I still think he has it in him. I think he, he's going to be able to win, you know, majors in his career. Um, but I, I still think he's missing something, you know, great win for him at the Memorial. Um, but I, I still won't be picking him as a favorite going into these next two majors on, on, to finish up the year. Me neither, but I just think that for him personally, it probably unlocks something in his mind, right? To say, I can do clutch things in the moment, right? When I, when I need to. And, and those are things that you need to have. You need to have that belief and that, and that type of conviction when you're playing for a major tournament, right? Against the best in the world, whether it's live players or PGA players, because now they're all, hey, it's all in the, the same, same thing now. It's all the same. <laughs> all in the same boat, man. Same, same, but same. different. <laughs> exactly, dog. Man, uh, you know me, bro. We could do this all night, dog, and, and talk up a storm, man. But we both got work to do. We both got more work to do here on the podcast. So we got to push it forward, man. Um, Grab this thing up, baby. Grab this thing up and tell a friend. To tell a friend. Tell one more friend. To tell everybody that they know. 
to tell everybody that they know to follow us on YouTube. Go hit the subscription button. Hit the notification button. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. We're dropping a lot of amazing content for you guys. And make sure you guys are subscribed to the Miami Golf Bros because this guy is definitely going to bring you that insight we just talked about. And until next time, y'all, peace. Peace.